Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's bonus episode is the audio version of a Patreon-only Q&A that I did a couple months ago or weeks ago or something. I don't know. I've started doing these over on Patreon for anybody who wants a more in-depth, detailed answer to a specific question. When I do Q&A episodes, uh, like viewer comments episodes on my YouTube channel, you know, I have to keep the pace up on those and I tend to go with kind of more entertaining, I don't want to say fluffy questions, but you know, less substantial ones. So uh, for the patron Q&As, that is the chance for me to go really in-depth on something that might not be, you know, entertaining enough necessarily for a video on my main channel. So if that is something you are interested in, then that might be a good reason to become a patron. You will also get every podcast episode a week early. There's a members only private discord server that I'm in. There's a way to have me review your music or podcast or artwork or anything else. So as always, you can do that at the link in the description. But before I get into this one, I just really wanted to sincerely thank everyone who supports us on Patreon. It really does make a difference because, you know, YouTube is very fickle. Your AdSense can go up and down wildly on a month-to-month basis. Like, November of 2020 was my best month ever, and here it is heading into February of 2021, and my AdSense is about half of what it was in November, which is fine. I'm not crying. You know, I'm doing fine, but the point is that you really never know how much you're going to make from YouTube any given month. Sponsors definitely help, but again, you know, that's pretty unpredictable. I have an agent, Tony, who's awesome, but I can't depend on him necessarily to bring me anything any month. You know, some months I have a sponsor every week. Some months I have one or none. All that is unpredictable too. And so everyone who supports on Patreon really provides that like stable revenue every month that I can be relatively certain is going to come in. You know, people come and go. My Patreon numbers might fluctuate a bit from month to month, but more or less, you know that it's pretty much going to be within 5% or so of what it was the month before. And so that really helps to kind of smooth out the unevenness that comes with being a creator. So thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. And for anybody out there who's trying to figure out how to make a little bit of money off of being a creator themselves, whether you are in a band or you have a podcast or YouTube or anything else, I would highly suggest looking into Patreon. Even if you think you don't have a big enough audience, I would say start it now, why not? The only way to know what people want from you is to put it out there and get feedback on it and adjust from that. One thing I will say is that I think a lot of people put I don't want to say too much effort into like constructing the tiers on their Patreon, but maybe so. You know, I think people feel like they have to 
really have this super detailed, like thought out list of benefits for every tier. And I think that that can almost work against you. In other words, like as a patron, I go into it already deciding that I want to support this person. And so the question is really just how much do I like this person and what amount of money am I comfortable pledging every month? And I support, I don't know, five or six people or something on Patreon, maybe even more than that. So I am a user on both sides of it. And one of the things with digital marketing of any kind is that the more options you give people, the more likely they are to choose none of them. It seems weird, but you know, think about it with, I don't know, like, uh, like a cable company, for example, like if you want to sign up for cable and they have like 25 different packages, you're just going to be like, uh, I, uh, this is too much. I don't want to invest a bunch of time trying to decipher the differences between all these packages. I, I'm just going to come back to this later. And then chances are that you're never going to come back to it later. On the other hand, if they have two or three packages and the differences between those are super clear, just two or three bullet points for each one, you can quickly make your decision and move on. People do not want to spend a lot of time making, you know, like a spreadsheet comparing the options for any kind of purchase, unless maybe it's a car or something like that. But, you know, for any kind of like relatively lightweight purchase, like a Patreon, keep it simple have clear differences between your tiers, but don't feel like you need to go overboard listing out like a giant range of options. I actually have less options for my Patreon now than I did when I started it a year and a half ago or whatever. And when I simplified it is when I noticed a lot of growth. So if you're interested in starting Patreon, that's my suggestion. Just start with something simple. Start with like two or $3 a month as kind of your lowest option see what people like and go from there. So thank you again to all the patrons. I'm very sincerely grateful for it. I don't take any one of you for granted. It really means a lot to me that there's people who choose to support every month like that. And if you are interested in checking out the Patreon, you can do that at the link in the show notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of my patron-only q and I'm just going to go down these in order. Thank you very much to everybody who submitted something. If you would like your question answered in the next one, I'm going to start doing these every month or so. So when you see the call for submissions, just drop it in the comments and I'll get to it. First one is from Anthony Lee. Hey, Finn, my fiance has tried a few times to get her YouTube channel off the ground but she's always pushed away by all the negativity she receives in the comments and such. What advice do you have for new creators when it comes to dealing with all the haters and naysayers that seem to represent the vast majority of viewers? Well, first of all, I would ask a few questions. Number one, is it actually the vast majority of viewers? Like, is it literally like 90% of them? Or is it maybe like a vocal 10 or 20%? Uh, that would be my guess. That's what it is for me. It's just a part of like human psychology that we tend to pay attention to. I mean, I've talked about it in my videos, negativity bias. We tend to pay attention to negative things more than we pay attention to positive ones. And, you know, for better or worse, it's just kind of comes to the territory of putting yourself out there is there's going to be people that show up and say shitty, awful things. The way I deal with it is, I mean, a lot of it just makes me laugh because I know that when people do that kind of stuff, more often than not, it says more about them than you. When people say a horrible, nasty thing about somebody in the internet that they don't know, that is because that person is unhappy for whatever reason. Like normal, happy, stable people don't go on the internet and say shitty things about strangers, right? 
So it's hard for me to really be angry at those people or really even take it seriously, knowing that that's what's going on. So that's my first piece of advice. Second thing is make sure that they're not right because sometimes they bring up things that are valid criticisms. Like sometimes you say or do something that was a mistake. And in those cases, it's actually good to, you know, kind of admit that and don't do that again. I don't think that's the case here based on what you're saying, but you know, at least for me, sometimes the people, if 50 people tell me I was wrong as fuck about something, then chances are I was actually wrong. But I think more than anything, you just kind of got to accept that unfortunately that's part of being a creator. And I would say that I look at it as, you know, I don't know if, I, I don't know if I would say a positive, but ultimately the worst thing for any creator is being ignored rather than being hated. Like that sucks to put something out there and that nobody gives a shit one way or the, one way or the other, that, that feels terrible. So if you're putting something out there and people are reacting it in any way at all, even if it's negative, to me, that's a win. And I would say, is there something you can do that will still engage with those people? Because clearly you've struck some kind of an emotional chord here. Is there a way that you can engage with them, but without making them so angry. Can you rephrase it or just slightly tweak the way you're talking about it or approach it from a different angle such that you would take advantage of the fact that people are emotionally invested in this topic, but do it in a way that's not gonna set them off. Uh, but without seeing exactly what we're talking about here, it's hard for me to be specific, but hopefully that helps. Next one from Richard Francois. Hey Finn, would you consider it a poor use of time if I were to continue making TikToks? From what I've heard, in order to gain traction, you need to make a lot of content and post multiple times a day. A friend of mine told me I was wasting my time because I already have limited time to work on music. I work full time and handle just about every task for my band, including songwriting. I know you talked about this topic before, but for someone with limited time, do you think it should still be a priority? He said I should just focus on being a musician. I feel like it's going to be impossible to make it without that app. At the same time, I am pretty dramatic. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think that you necessarily have to have success on TikTok in order to like, you know, be a successful musician because there's lots of examples that we could come up with of people who have proved that that's not true. But I don't think you're wrong in the sense that TikTok is obviously a very powerful marketing tool. It's a great way in particular to be discovered. So you're, you're right in that regard. As far as whether it's a waste of time, the question here is basically like, what is the, the best way to allocate your limited amount of time? And let's, let's divide it up into two categories. It might not be quite this simple, but let's say that it is uh, boiled down to making music and promoting the music. For most people, I would say that they do not put enough effort into promoting the music. The way to answer whether this is the case for you or not is are you happy with where you're at as far as the size and quality of your audience? If you are, then I would say don't change anything. Like Periphery don't make TikToks because they're happy with where they're at. They don't feel like they need to grow. I don't know if that's the case for you or not, but for most people that I talk to, they are frustrated because they feel like their music is good, but they're not getting enough attention for it. For those people, I would say spend less time making music for now and more time promoting it. You know, if you have 10 songs, I don't know, you could make 100 different TikToks out of those songs, right? I mean, any given part of the song, there's probably three parts in any song that you can make a TikTok out of and make five different TikToks about each of those three parts. You know, I think you have to look at it not as like, you know, that this is taking away from your time as a musician. I think you just have to understand that being a creator is 
part of being a musician, uh, or, or should I say, part of being an artist. If you want to be a musician, that means just playing your instrument. And if you just want to play your instrument, then you don't need to be on TikTok. But if you want to be an artist, in other words, a performer, which is a person who people pay attention to for playing their music, well, then you have to either promote yourself or find somebody to do it for you. And I don't really think anybody's going to do it for you. So as to whether it's a waste of your time or not, I guess that's up to you to decide. But uh, I would say it really just depends on the results you're getting. And for most people, I think that they should be putting more time into making their music. And also, you said you had a full-time job and other stuff, which totally understand that does make things difficult. But just ask yourself if you're really making the most out of all the time you have in the day, you know, how much time are you spending on Pornhub and video games and whatever else that you might be able to spend on making your music, promoting your music, or if you do want content to listen to or watch or whatever, make sure that it's stuff that is actually helpful. Like when I, I don't actually listen to music that much because if I'm driving or something like that, I'm usually listening to a podcast because I try to fill that time with something that's actually gonna be useful for me in some way. Not that music isn't useful or that every moment has to be useful, but if you're crunched for time, you know, that's something to think about. Like how can you make the most out of every second that you do have? But first, a quick word from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. 
and Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. And let's get back into it. From Shan Slees, this is a super unimportant type of question. I need you to help me settle a debate in my house. Forgive me if you've touched on this before. I'm fairly new. What are your thoughts on the band The 1975? I think they're pretty punk rock in the way that they genuinely don't seem to give a fuck and just make whatever music they like. Their latest album was all over the place. My husband thinks I'm absolutely insane for even considering that. Well, uh, I've heard this about them a few times, to be honest. I'm not that familiar with them as far as like how they promote themselves and stuff. I really, really like, I think it was their album from 2016, maybe the one with like girls on it. I think it's fucking awesome. I think their music is great and they seem like cool guys just from what I've seen in their music videos and stuff. They seem to not take themselves very seriously. Um, but, you know, I haven't really paid super close attention to how they do things aside from that. But I probably should based on the number of people who have brought this up and the fact that I do like their music. So sorry that I can't be more detailed there, but uh, they're obviously super talented guys and uh, I do like their music. From Owen Trainer, any advice for bands getting into live streaming? So first of all, I should say, like, I am not an expert in this. I've done a lot of live streams, but not of like entertainment content. Uh, my day job for the past four years or so has been uh, working for URM Academy. We do a lot of live streaming education for music producers. We teach people how to record and mix music. And a lot of that stuff is live streamed. Before that, I worked at a company called Creative Live where we did, I think I produced maybe about 75 live streaming classes with people like Kurt from Converge. We had Andrew Wade on to mix uh, A Day to Remember. Had Chris Crummett on working with like uh, Issues tracks, uh, Sam Puro with like the story so far. Uh, so I did, uh, we had Steve Evitz and Dillinger, Jamie King with Tommy from Between the Buried Me. And uh, I did a ton of those. Uh, however, those are a little bit of a different beast because education is fundamentally different from entertainment. Uh, education should be entertaining, but a band, a live stream for a band is an entertainment event. And so what I would say is, Make sure that you're being entertaining. That's what it comes down to. Uh, personally, I don't, but since I don't have any direct experience there, you should take my opinion with a grain of salt. Personally, I don't find these like live stream performances to be compelling at all. It just, there's no energy there to me when a band is like, when I'm watching it on a screen and they're rocking out in like an empty venue, that just, I don't feel anything from that. But that's just me. Uh, I would look more towards like what Ronnie Radke does or what, uh, Matt Heafy from Trivium does. You don't have to like play songs, right? Your job is to entertain your audience. And that could happen from playing video games or answering questions or doing stupid skits. I mean, like, look at what Ronnie does on Twitch. He has like a green screen set up and he just does dumb shit. Like, you know, he will set up a green screen of him standing in front of a hot topic or in a wrestling ring or something like that. So I would look more at that, like... Don't try to shoehorn a live performance kind of format that would work in person at a small venue. Don't try to shoehorn that into a live stream because 
don't really think people want that. You know, I've seen some bands do like live stream and band practice from their like practice room. And I mean, if that works for them, that's great. Good for them. But I just, I don't really see why anybody would find that compelling or would want to watch that. So maybe I'm being an asshole, but that's how I think about it. Next one from M. How has your love of hardcore influenced your personal style? Well, I don't know what by personal style, if you're going to say the way that I dress, uh, if that's what you mean. Well, I mean, if you look at, uh, go back and uh, look at a band like Youth of Today. And to me, I would say that that's a big influence on the way that I dress. Uh, Youth of Today was the first band to really bring like sportswear into hardcore because they were from Connecticut. They were basically like jocks from Connecticut who, for whatever reason, also got into punk. This is like 1985 or so. Um, and, you know, like you look at them, they're athletic guys, and they came down to shows in New York City dressed like mid 80s jocks, you know, and like Nikes and windbreakers and sweatpants and stuff like that. All that kind of stuff that we think of as part of hardcore now is because of them. And I don't know why, but, you know, that way of dressing has always kind of resonated with me. I wouldn't say that I'm a jock per se, but, you know, I don't dislike sports or anything. I mean, you know, jujitsu and MMA and stuff are sports, and I've been into those since the 90s. So, yeah, I don't know why. And then, you know, there's a lot of crossover there with, like, streetwear because skateboarding is kind of the common denominator there. And, you know, streetwear as we know it now, like Supreme and all that kind of stuff, uh, and especially brands like Hundreds and Diamond Supply and all that are, like, very directly an outgrowth of uh, of skateboarding and surfing. Uh, Stussy would be another example of that, arguably, like, the first streetwear brand. And, you know, skateboarders dressed kind of the same way. And I just ne- I never really identified with, you know, dressing punk, quote-unquote. Like, that it just never really resonated with me. I, you know, if other people want to dress that way, that's fine. But... I've never wanted to look punk or look metal or anything like that. You know, if you look at a hardcore band like Terror or, you know, whatever, you know, they don't look that much different from like a normal person that you would see at Target or whatever, maybe a little bit edgier, a few more tattoos. But um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a big one. Uh, Suicidal Tendencies was a big influence on me, although I, you know, I don't want to dress like Suicidal Tendencies, but I thought that looked cool when I was a kid. But again, that's pretty standard stuff, you know, like Dickies and like a flannel shirt or something like that, I think is a pretty normal thing to wear, especially if you're from the West Coast. Yeah, I think it's funny that people are so, uh, I don't know if upset is the right word about the way I dress. I don't think it's particularly interesting, but other people seem to think it's pretty crazy that I dress the way I do, which I don't know, it's funny to me, but they seem to think it's pretty interesting. From uh, Edan Aroni, how are you able to balance the huge amount of content you do plus you around with your personal life, going jogs and whatnot, and jujitsu? I have half the responsibility and can barely even keep up with all the work. Well, it's not easy. Uh, I talked about this in my last viewer comments video, but my sort of nature is to want to work on things. Like, that's what I enjoy doing. So it's not really hard for me to uh, to to work a lot and to work hard and to want to build something like that comes naturally to me. So I don't think you should necessarily like, you know, look at me, uh, you know, I don't deserve a medal for that because it's just a lot of it comes naturally to me. The main thing I would say, kind of mentioned this uh, earlier in my answer to another question is make sure that you're not wasting any time because there's, if you're honest about how you actually spend your time, there's probably a lot more wasted, well, I shouldn't say wasted, but um, unproductive time in your day than you realize. 
This is true for me too. For example, I know if I'm editing a video, if I really just sit down and focus and edit that video, I can get a lot done in like two or three hours, as opposed to if I let myself kind of go down the rabbit hole and answer some DMs and you know look at Twitter and then maybe watch a couple videos about one of the bands that I'm editing about and blah, blah, blah. And really maybe I'm only actually utilizing two thirds of that time to actually edit. Whereas if I really just focus, I can get a lot done in a couple hours. So I think that's the key is just to like not, if I'm not suggesting by the way that everybody should try to make every minute of their day productive because I think for most people that's not healthy and not enjoyable. Uh, I'm a type A personality that, you know, would be what you would call like a maximizer or an optimizer. Uh, that's just the way I am. And I, I do, I actually try to fight against that a little bit because it's not necessarily healthy to try to make every minute of the day productive. But for people who want more out of the day, that's the first thing I would, I would suggest is just make sure that you are actually utilizing all the time that you do have available, but make sure you're also enjoying life. I mean, there's no point in getting a lot done if you don't enjoy it, right? I mean, I could have, I, I eat pretty well, but like I could eat perfectly, you know, let's say now I eat, I would give myself an A minus on my diet, but I used to, I would give myself an A plus in the past, but it sucked. I mean, I just would eat broccoli and chicken breasts all the time and stuff and it, it worked. I mean, it was a little bit leaner than I am now, but I would, I just, I wouldn't want to live that way now. So I'm, I'm okay with having 2% more body fat if that means that I enjoy my life a little bit more. And more importantly, that I don't bum my wife out by eating chicken and broccoli you know, uh, when she wants to go out, you know, and have a nice dinner somewhere. I used to work with a girl who, I, it didn't bother me at all, um, but she was like a, a fitness competitor. And when we would go out to lunch or dinner, like with the team, she would bring like a Tupperware with broccoli and tuna in it. That doesn't bother me. I understand why she did that. I respect it. But some of the other people are like, oh, she's so tight. Why does she do that? You know, kind of bummed them out. So, you know, the answer is that you can get as much done as you want to do. But if it feels like you're fighting it, every step of the way and like it's just a bummer and you're not enjoying yourself then maybe you know maybe you're trying to do something that's just kind of not naturally a fit for you and i think if it feels like pain every step of the way like you're pushing against the river then you know consider whether you actually want to do that thing or at all it might not be just might not be a good fit for you from richie h hi finn i've noticed you stopped adding hashtags to your instagram posts why is that is it part of a new strategy uh, great question. I did stop doing that, at least for a while. Uh, reason being that uh, Instagram disabled a bunch of hashtag stuff around the election starting uh, maybe a month or so before the election. I can't remember exactly. And if you look at your, if you go look at a hashtag now, it'll say like Instagram has disabled recent posts for this to avoid such and such, uh, to avoid uh, interfering with you know, information around the United States election. Um, so hashtags became useless for a while and I'm, I'm not sure if they still are. And my thinking is they might actually penalize the reach, uh, if you use the wrong ones or too many or whatever. So I, I said, you know, why don't I just try not using them and see what happens? Uh, I've tried them a couple times and it didn't seem to really get me anywhere. Like it didn't get any hashtag reach. Um, so I don't know if that's because I did a shitty job or, because they've still like throttled the reach of hashtags or did I use the wrong ones? Was it a bad piece of content? I don't know. There's always a lot of different variables there, but I think um, as soon as I, I'm gonna start using them again, 
as soon as when I click on a hashtag, I no longer see that notification that they've disabled hashtags. That will tell me that you know we're back in action there, and then I will try it and see what happens. But um, that's just my experience. If anybody else is getting different results of them, I'd love to hear it. But you know, this is the name of the game with social media. Is like what worked last week might not work next week, and that thing, and then it might go back to what worked before. I mean. It is a constantly moving target, which can be a little bit exhausting, but that's just kind of the way it is. And if you want to be you know, active on social media and really make the most of it, you've got to always be trying to stay on top of what's working right now and be, be prepared to throw that out tomorrow. Uh, for example, like three years ago or so for uh, URM Academy Nail the Mix, you know, my day job, uh, I used to get great reach posting like long, say 10 or 15 minute videos on our Facebook page that were clips from, like I said, our live streams where we would have someone mix a record. I would take like 15 minutes out of that where they're mixing the guitars or whatever, put that on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, and it used to do great on Facebook. I would get tons of reach, great engagement and stuff. Uh, and then maybe, I don't know, a year or so after that just does not work anymore. You post a long video and just crickets. Nobody gives a shit. Is that because Facebook changed the algorithm? Is that because people no longer like that kind of content? Is it a combination of the two? I don't know, but either way, the fact is that that kind of content just stopped working. So now I've gone back to just images, like memes and stuff. That stuff is working great, but there may be a time when that doesn't work either. You know, maybe Facebook will decide they don't like memes and. You know, it's constantly evolving, moving target, and you should always be asking yourself these kinds of questions. So I hope all of that was interesting or helpful or something like that. Thank you to everybody who asked a question. Remember, you can do this every time I ask, uh, every time I put out a call for submissions, just drop it in the comments and I will answer all of them. Unless we ever get to a point where I'm getting hundreds of comments, which would be awesome. I hope we get there. But until then, I will answer every single one of them. Thank you all for your support and I will see you next time. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week.
So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe to Grind podcast. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com.